0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. I'm Kate Bendel, the Dunedin Yoga Lady. Join me every second Tuesday at 10.30 as we explore all things to know about yoga. My passion is to open the doors of this powerful practice to the community and to share that passion with you. The Dunedin Yoga Lady, fortnightly on Tuesdays at 10.30 on ORFM and podcast from oar.org.nz. Good morning and welcome to the Dunedin Yoga Lady. I'm Kate, I'm your host for this show, and this is a show for you if you already love yoga and want to learn a little bit more about yoga, or if you're someone who is curious about yoga but yet hasn't started yoga yourself yet, I put yet because I hope that this show in some ways might help broaden the understanding of what yoga is and help people in general realize that yoga has something to offer a really wide range of people. That yoga is not just what we've unfortunately come to see it as these days, which is just those kind of gymnastical postures. Yoga is so much more than that. And that's pretty much what we talk about in this show. Some of the aspects of yoga that you may not be familiar with so much, or yeah, some of the the deeper levels of what yoga is and how it could be useful to you. Because um, let's let's be um, real about the fact that there, it's a fairly difficult time in history to be alive at the moment. Um, this pandemic. And just things in general, it's, it's a fairly tough existence out there at the moment. So yoga is an amazing tool at bringing health and harmony into the whole system, not just the body, actually primarily the mind. So as I said, my name's Kate. I've been practicing yoga for a really long time, longer than... I care to imagine, actually, it's probably longer than 35 years. I've been teaching for about 25 years. And one of the reasons I've started doing this show is because the yoga I do now is very different than the yoga I did 30 years ago, because I've been on a journey with my yoga and I have been a really studious devotee of yoga you could say it's um, been the central part of my life and what I have learned is that there's a lot of misunderstanding out there of yoga and sometimes people are missing out on yoga because they're not getting a complete picture of what yoga is and they maybe go along and try some class and it doesn't work for them or they're asked to do something that just doesn't suit their body and therefore they write yoga off. So where the journey of yoga has led me is into more traditional practices, and what I'm going to talk about on this show is chanting. Um, So, again, this is maybe not so well known in the West as part of yoga, but it is a very central part of traditional yoga. And currently I'm in training, actually, to be a Vedic chanting teacher which is pretty exciting for me and could be exciting for you if you're interested in learning how to do Vedic chanting. So just really briefly to put in context how I came across this Vedic chanting as part of yoga. I've been practicing probably for 30 years or maybe 25. Um, The yoga that most of us probably understand to be yoga lots of movement, lots of asana. And I was also quite a serious meditator by that stage, which was kind of how I got into yoga in the first place. And I kind of reached a point with those practices that physically I'd taken them kind of to a fairly expert degree, I suppose you could say. You know, I was practicing serious physical asana every day for probably at least an hour, sometimes longer. So there was some degree of mastery, perhaps is the word I'm looking for, in some of those physical postures. But there was also the sense for me of, is there something else? Is this it? Do I just keep doing this? Do I just try and do more sophisticated, complicated asana? Just actually at a point where my body was like saying, well, Maybe not, you know, my body wasn't quite what it used to be when I first started as an 18-year-old. And luckily for me, I came across a tradition that uses chanting in the practice, <clears throat> and that was a total game-changer for me. Initially, it felt a little bit odd. I must say I'd had a long history of practicing without sound and to be asked to chant in my actual physical yoga practice Yeah, there was a few obstacles I had to overcome to be even willing to do that and to even be open-minded enough to see that this actually was a valid yoga practice because I thought by that stage I knew a fair bit about yoga and I'd never heard of this before, so I was slightly sceptical. What helped me sort of overcome my own judgment was understanding that this teacher in front of me was connected to a lineage, a very long lineage. In yoga, we call that a sampradaya. It's a wee bit like Whakapapa in a way. It's like it's a, a link, a connection from one generation to the next. So this teacher who was standing in front of me had a direct link to this lineage, which is called Vinayoga, which went back thousands and thousands of years. So I had to conceive that perhaps she knew more than I did about yoga at this point. And so we chanted. And what I mean by that is she chose a small mantra. I can't remember exactly which one it was, but it could have been something like Om Shanti. May have been that, maybe something different. And we actually chanted that as we did the postures. And it just opened up, I think, whole new level of yoga to me and since that day really I've committed to that lineage and now practice and teach using sound as part of the practice. So what I want to do now before I talk anymore is just do a very short chant which It's a chant that in um, Vedic traditions, often this is chanted before any kind of education or learning, and it's a chant just to protect the teachings and hope for a clear channel of communication between me, the person who's speaking, and you, the person who's listening and receiving. And it will also give you a taste of what am I actually referring to when I'm talking about Vedic chanting.
1: Om Sahana Vatu Sahana Bhunatu Sahana Viryaṁ Karava Bhavai Tījayase Navatī Tamas Tu
0: So if you've got a keen ear, what you might have noticed about that is that there's actually only three notes. So that's one of the things that distinguishes Vedic chanting from kirtan. Kirtan, you may be familiar with, it's become quite popular in the West now. It's a beautiful practice. It's devotional singing. And it's there's a lot of melody in it. It uses a, a full range of notes. And... So it's very, very different. So I just really want to make that clear in this show today that I'm not talking about Kirtan. I do love Kirtan and I practice Kirtan and have the local Hare Krishna group here to thank for that, my introduction into Kirtan. They were doing something in the octagon once I went past and it was like really captured me. And Kirtan is beautiful, but it's very, very different in vedic chanting vedic chanting comes from from the vedas which i've talked about that before in another show and might mention it again but it's like this it's, the mantras and it only come from vedic knowledge and there's very very strict rules for chanting i'm going to do another show that will talk about the six rules um, but today, just to know that we're talking about this Vedic chanting, and there's only three notes, a middle note, a lower note, and a high note. And it is Sanskrit. So you may have be familiar with some of those words or sounds that I made, and yes, it's Sanskrit. Often when we think of Sanskrit, it has the reputation of being a very intellectual, classical, like old, almost dead language, some people would think of it as. Sanskrit is still alive. It is chanted still in India by probably millions of people. And it is the language that carries the knowledge and wisdom of yoga and way much more. It is actually the mother language of all Indo-European languages, including English. And the it's actually called Sanskritum. And from that, we can pick up what it actually means. So, some, as in Sanskrit, some we could translate as meaning some, as in the sum, the total of something. And Krita is created. So, what Sanskrit or Sanskrit is about, it is this language that is created out of the totality, which This idea is also shared across some other religions, this idea that the word, that sound was the beginning of creation, that all of creation comes from vibration. So Sanskrit is, in many ways, you could understand it as the sonic building blocks it's the basis of our consciousness. So it's a very, very powerful thing. And it's interesting to know also that humans, we have the capacity and the ability to reproduce, recreate those sounds of the 54, I think, or it could be 52, I should know, but i have Forgotten exactly that the seed syllables the sound of the Sanskrit alphabet, and we are the only creatures on the planet that can recreate all of those sounds. So this that that's kind of um, puts in a very very brief context of of Vedic chanting the language which it comes from, and basically what it's saying is that when we can reproduce these sounds it puts us in unity with creation at its source so it's very powerful and yoga is about union yoga is about coming together in the in that expanded consciousness so mantra is the term that we use when we're chanting we're chanting mantra you may have heard that term What mantra means, if we translate that, it's um, the man stands for manas, which is mind, and tra is to transcend. So when we chant mantra, it means that we can transcend the mind, which is one of the goals of yoga, probably the primary goal of yoga in a way. Um, But the interesting thing is, is that yoga has a very different understanding and explanation of what the mind is compared to the West, even compared to modern Western psychology. So I want to tell you briefly about yoga's idea of what the mind is, and it will help you understand why sound, why chanting in a practice can be such a powerful thing to do in your practice. Because in yoga, the mind has six layers. Three of them are the outer layers of the mind. And the other three are the inner layers of the mind and beyond that is pure consciousness so we need all of these layers yoga isn't saying some of them are bad bits of the mind they're all there for a reason and we need them all however to get to a state of yoga to transcend the mind we must enter to, into the inner mind and sound can really help us do this So very briefly, the the most outer layer of the mind is called the mamas mind. And that's where we're taking in all the information from the senses, all the things around us, and we're making sense of those things. And that layer of the mind is full to the brim of habits and patterns. And it's also where our kind of flight, fight response lies. It's in that outer layer of the mind. So if you think for yourself, one of the goals, one of the reasons people take yoga they practice yoga is to quieten the mind to actually make themselves feel better to reduce stress and anxiety and busyness so it's good to understand that that outer layer was is where all that stuff is it's in that outer layer of the mind and sometimes without training or awareness or education you can spend your whole life in that outer layer of the mind and it's a pretty busy disturbing place to be actually. Next layer in, we have what's called the Asmita mind. And this is the part of the mind that is about your sense of I. We could say your I-ness. And you need that. You need to identify who you are as an individual person. Next in, we have the budhi mind. And this is the mind that discriminates. It's like, I like cold and I don't like hot. I like going on long trips or I like staying at home this is real, this is not real. So it's kind of this mind that's discriminating. And also we need that. That's an important part of the mind. But these are all the outer mind. When we come into the inner mind, where there is a possibility of experiencing yoga, that's called the chitta mind, the first layer. And that's where we're able to let go some of those identities. We're able to release some of that busyness and that, discrimination and all those things that we hang on to that identify, you know like i'm a i'm a woman or i'm a man i'm rich or i'm poor i'm attractive i'm not attractive all those things we're able to release them a little bit and in yoga it says it's when we get into this deeper mind that we can actually begin to experience freedom which is kaivalyam. that's another goal of yoga When we can move past the chitta mind, we're going much deeper into the mind here. And that's called the pratyaya mind. And this is what we'd call the fluid mind. And we've been most familiar with that in dreams, really. It's when the mind moves in a way that it ordinarily doesn't. And that, you know, one minute you can be on top of a mountain and then, then the next minute you could be a leopard moving through the jungle. The kind of totally fluid mind that most of us will have definitely experienced in, in a dream state. And then beyond that, we have what's called the sattva mind. And this is a very, very quiet mind. And this is the place where we have the possibility of to experience our true nature. And these layers of the mind, most yoga practices, if they're taught correctly are ways for you to enter this deeper mind and sound, adding sound to your yoga practice can very quickly take you into the deeper mind. You may have practiced before And what can be a physical way, unless you have good guidance from a teacher, you can almost practice yoga as if you were practicing Pilates or I don't know what other exercises that are out there. You can mistakenly practice yoga in that way, and it's not going to take you to a state of yoga. You're going to stay trapped in the outer layer of your mind. Whereas it if you add sound what it does because sound is so subtle it takes you to that deeper mind just straight off the bat um kind of effortless really so that's one of the reasons why i teach it and i practice it that way and i must say not everybody loves it there's some people who come along and it's not what they expect um so it makes them feel awkward Uh, especially you know good New Zealand culture we're perhaps a little bit shy about opening our mouths and making unusual sounds but most people who are willing to kind of get over themselves and have a go at it find that it is um, a very beautiful expansive stilling experience so what I thought I would do now is just chant a chant for you Um, if I was Further down in my yoga journey, I would be doing this completely from memory. That's how chanting is taught. However, I'm not. So I'm referring to a book at this stage just to help me chant correctly. And this is a chant to Shiva. A lot of you who practice yoga will know that Shiva in many traditions is associated with yoga. Not so much in my tradition, but I love this chant anyway. So I'm going to chant this for you just so you can have another experience and this chant will feel and sound different than the other one. Om
1: Namah Shivaya Cha. Om Namah Shivaya Shivaya nama shivaya shivaya namo nama shivaya shivaya cha, cha shivaya shivaya cha nama shivaya shivaya namo nama shivaya cha, cha shivaya namo nama shivaya cha
0: so when we practice in yoga, we're not doing a long chant like that. If that was going to be in a practice, I would just choose one part of that mantra and I wouldn't just choose it randomly, part of the training and understanding of these Vedic chanting is that you know what each mantra means um, and you can put it in a practice in a way that's appropriate so another thing that happens on a slightly less esoteric level when you add chanting to a practice it affects the length of your breath so I've already talked about in other shows how one of the goals of yoga is it's a cleansing practice we need to remove obstacles and toxins from the whole system when you breathe out your exhale is a way to do that and when you chant you can lengthen your exhale in a way that is far easier and almost unconscious compared to if we try and work with people and say look make your exhale a little longer Sometimes people can do that, and it can be done, but it's much easier and much more effective to do it with a chant. And in class, sometimes we add to the chant. So we might start with a short chant. It might just be Om, and then as people's breath warms up and gets longer, we can add the next bit, Om Nama. And then further into the class, we can add Om Nama Shivaya. So in that way, it is a really powerful tool for extending the exhale and also letting you hear how long your exhale is because awareness of your own system is an important part of a practice as well. So at the moment, I'm halfway through my training. Very soon I'll be finished and I will be offering chanting classes in Dunedin, which is pretty exciting. Um, It's the first time in Dunedin that these have been offered. And it's only in the last sort of 50 years that Vedic chanting has been taught to Western, Western females, dare I say it. It was a very male-dominated Brahman male practice up until fairly recently. So I'm really excited to be bringing this to you as a community. Um, at the moment, my website, the Dunedin Yoga Lady doesn't have anything about chanting on it yet because I'm not offering, but soon it will. So thank you for listening, and I hope that perhaps for some of you it's piqued your interest in yoga in a more expanded state sense of what yoga could be, and that perhaps there are parts of yoga that you could practice and enjoy. So thank you. You've been listening to Kate, Kate Bendel, and I will. Next week, come back with a different chant and explore some of the rules of Vedic chanting because it's quite interesting to learn what they are. Even if you're not formally learning, it's, it's an interesting thing to understand in itself. So thanks for joining me and be back in a fortnight. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.